But today we're going to look at a topic that all of us, I think, uh, need a little uh, maybe help on. Uh, sometimes we feel inadequate. And super interesting to me is the disciples felt inadequate as well. Um, so I grew up in Kentucky in a Christian home. My mom and dad brought me to church from ever since I've, I've never not I've never not known church. I've always known church. Um, from, from the time I was uh, born, I was in church. And my sisters, and we were Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning. Uh, we had training union, which is nighttime Sunday school. Uh, you had uh, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every night of revival. That was us. We went to everything. Our Kind of our lives revolved around church. And if you were to look up the word churched, our family picture was there. There it is. Uh, look at that little guy, right? Right? Oh, that's me. Um, and we would, we would be at church a lot. Now, my dad there is, uh, uh, he was a deacon at our church. He was um, a trustee, which means he was very uh, kind of trusted at the church. And back in the day, the way church worked when I was a kid um, was our preacher would preach. And then he would give an invitation, and he would come down, and he would stand there, and he would preach uh, the second sermon. Uh, he'd preach some more uh, during the invitation. And then at the end of the service, when everything was done, he would ask one of the deacons to pray. And he would say, you know, Brother Bob, will you pray? Brother Jim, or whoever. And my dad, who, again, uh, a deacon in our church, an elder, that kind of thing, uh, asked him, just don't, don't ask me to pray in public. For him, it was maybe a matter of, uh, you know, being shy. Not everybody is a public speaker. That's part of it. And one time he told me he just didn't feel um, like, he felt like it was a little bit of a show and he didn't want to do that. And it's interesting to me that even Jesus' followers didn't always get what he was doing. So if, if you have your Bibles, Luke 11, this is where we're going to jump in. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray quick show of hands how many of you have ever been less than satisfied with your prayer life my hand is up because my, that's me okay so you've got guys who are around jesus and they ask jesus teach us to pray i mean if you want to go to the source this is a great place to go a lot of times we don't pray because we have some misguided beliefs about prayer it would be uh, I don't want to pray about uh, my job or about uh, health or whatever because that seems selfish, and so we don't pray. Or uh, my motives aren't pure. You know, I, I'd like this, but it's kind of divided motives, and so I don't want to pray. Or my life just isn't right right now, so I don't want to pray. Or it's been so long since I prayed, I'm afraid God would think it's uh, uh, presumptuous of me to pray. And then sometimes it's like I don't know if prayer works. It seems like God does what he wants to do, so why would I even want to pray? And then sometimes I think it's, I don't know how, and I need instruction. Jesus' very disciples who were with him every day said to Jesus, teach us to pray. We need a little bit of instruction here. We'd like to know how to do it better. And so he teaches them. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Um, when we pray, we place ourselves in the stream of God's mighty power. That's a great definition. 
Uh, when I think about placing myself in the stream of God's mighty power, I think of a float trip. Now, I want you to think about this. This is the picture I want to give you. Jesus gave uh, his uh, uh, disciples a picture sometimes. I want to give you a picture today to think about prayer. When you pray, you join the stream of God's power. God's power is moving. God's will is being done whether we join it or not. However, he gives us the opportunity to be in the stream of his power. Now, the good news about this is when you get in the stream, the stream kind of tells you where it's going to go. You don't really tell it much where it's going to go. And so when we pray, we sort of join the Father in what he's doing. It's like a little float trip. And so Jesus tells the guys, hey, this is how you pray. And I don't know if they gave him that blank look, kind of like you're giving me now. Uh, uh, but uh, he then tells a story. It's the parable of the friend at midnight. And you have to understand the culture to get this. All right, so there's etiquette. There's certain things that you do. In Jesus' culture, it's different than us because they lived very communally. Uh, everybody hung out. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And so if you had someone who came to your house, no matter the hour of the day, you as the host were required to provide a meal for them. Not just a meal, you had to provide the very best you could. And it wasn't just representative of you, you were representing the entire community. Everybody, uh, this is kind of communal stuff, and so like, you, you just didn't give them a Pop-Tart. You, know, you, had to, you had to prepare something for them. Now, you as the host, when somebody came to your house, you were required. It was etiquette, it was done. You provided a meal. And if you were the visitor, you came to the house, you, ha you were required to eat whatever they put in front of you. That's a little dangerous for me, a non-cheese person. When I was much younger, when I was first getting into ministry, I think it was my very second job, I was probably in my late 20s, I went to a Sunday school party with 80-year-old women. 80-year-old women love young guys. You know, it's kind of, uh, I was there, I was the star, you know, and, and I was eating that up. It was great. I'm talking to this one little lady, and for some reason, and it, it is a, it's still uh, a question to me why she thought this was a good idea, but I'm talking to her, and for some reason, she pops a cheese ball in my mouth. <laughs> Not a cheese puff. A cheese ball. It's like, number one, how did she get it in there? I'm like, I don't know what, like she'd sham it in, I don't know. Now, I didn't know what it was. You know what I'm talking about? Those cheese balls are kind of, they're, they're sausage and cheese, and that's how they work. And so, I tasted the sausage going in, but when I bit down, I tasted the cheese. It's horrible. I hate cheese. I don't like cheese. So now, I'm, I'm in conversation with an octogenarian who has popped a cheese ball in my mouth. And I'm trying to think to myself, okay, what do I do? I'm not swallowing this. Um, first thing I thought of was, I'm getting away from this gal before she pops another one in my mouth. The second thing, I'm looking to where I can spit the cheese ball out. Because it's not staying in there. In fact, the longer it stays, the worse it gets. And so, I remember, um, I remember doing the and I put it into the plant uh, and walked away because it's like, well, I didn't want it in the first place. You know, that's the kind of thing. So when you showed up at a house, they were going to give you something to eat and you had an obligation 
to eat it. And it was representative of the whole village. So, you didn't just give them uh, just leftovers. You prepared something for them because they were your honored guest. They were honored. And so you treated them with honor. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. This is the bare minimum, by the way. Three loaves of bread. Bare minimum. Now, the expectation was, and by the way, if you went to a friend and said, Dude, um, we have special guests at our home. Will you help me? Will you help me provide the very best meal I can? It would be an honor to be asked, honestly. The community, everybody's watching this. And it's interesting to me, I think, right, I go to bed like early. These people evidently are all watching this happen. This is playing out in front of everybody. And so Jesus is saying, all right, this is a story. You asked for three loaves of bread. Um, in that culture, they use bread oftentimes as like a, a way to eat their meal. They would be, have maybe a stew or something, and they would use the bread, and they would sop up the juice, and that was kind of the way that they ate. And so he asked for the bare minimum, expecting more. He's just asking, dude, let me, let me have three loaves of bread. What he's hoping for, what he's expecting is that there's going to be more. And it sa he says, uh, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine from, uh, on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Now, it doesn't literally mean he has absolutely zero, literally no food. Guys, when, your wife, when you're going to a party and your wife says to you, I have nothing to wear, does that mean that this party better be clothing optional? No. It means I don't have anything that will not make me look like a fashion-challenged hag married to a big cheapskate. Uh, I have nothing that will honor our family in this forum. Well, this is what he's saying. I don't have any food. He's not saying I don't have any food. I don't have the proper meal to present to my neighbor, to my friend who's visiting. I need your help. That's what he's saying. i got to have help. You're going to help me. I, you, you were sort of, in fact, it, again, it's, it's an honor to be asked to help. Now, this going on publicly, everybody, you know, he's knocking on the door, so everybody's candle is lit, and they're, uh, lit, and they're all looking outside, and it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen? This, this drama is playing out. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. <laughs> they ain't very Christian. Uh, not very friendly. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, Jesus' audience, when he tells this story, would have chuckled because these are the most ludicrous ex uh, excuses ever. That Nobody would do this. Jesus, basically, he says, and suppose, it's like, just think about what would happen if this were to occur. Because it wouldn't happen. Because everybody's watching. And he's not going to take no for an answer. And he's going to get up and give you something. But suppose, he said, just suppose it's like that. And they would be chuckling all over themselves. <laughs> well, they're tucked in already? That's, a, <laughs> that's not how it works. They all knew it, not how it works. And then Jesus goes on, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, 
God gives us according to our needs, not always according to our greeds and our wants and that kind of thing. We want some stuff. You can ask for anything you want to. You don't always get it. I have a relationship with my children. I love them very, very much, and I try to give them good gifts. I give them as many good gifts as I can. But sometimes they ask or want things that just don't benefit them, and I don't give them those things because I am their father, and I get to choose what gifts are best for them. Our Heavenly Father is brilliant. He knows exactly what we need. He knows when we need it. And He's the one we're trying to tap in, remember, to the flow of His power so He can give us what we need. And so Jesus in this story is saying, look, don't take no for an answer. In this case, it was expected that the, the person in the building would give you something because it was the expectation. This makes tons of sense. Uh, everybody knew what was happening. That's kind of how it went. And so the idea is you just stay there until he gives you what you need. You stay there until he gives you what you need. Now, don't misunderstand this parable. Here, here's the problem a lot of times with prayer. There, there are different ideas about prayer. Like, this is what you have to do to get, get God to give you what you want. Some people will say, you don't ask, you, you name it and claim it. You, you kind of demand it. Now, listen, uh, I had a very loving father. You saw his picture, uh, but I never demanded he give me anything. That would not have played well with my very loving father. Um, I can't imagine going to him and saying, well, Dad, I demand a new car. And he would say, well, I demand that you pay for it yourself. You know, it's like, okay, well, that, that's just not going to work. Some people act as if you have to have a certain, use the right words. Like it's abracadabra. Like it's words you have to write, you have to have the right expression in Jesus' name. If you don't pray in Jesus' name... <laughs> I've got four daughters. They all approach me differently. I've got an oldest. My youngest today turns 16. Can you imagine 16? 16. Going to be driving. I would take caution. Uh, by the way, it's a great time for me to pray, uh, to talk about prayer, because I rode with my daughter from Michigan uh, home uh, this week, and I did a lot of praying. Uh, my 16-year-old was, was driving, and it was a lot of prayer time. Um, they come to me different ways. And they don't have to use the right words. I'm in a relationship with them. I love them. They can ask me for anything. I can't always provide what they want. I can't always give them what they Sometimes they hint. <laughs> I'm sure I'm the only parent that ever had a kid hint at something that they wanted. Sometimes they'll hint. Daddy, did you see that new, you know, whatever. It's like, I did see it. Uh, it would be great if you could get that for yourself. Uh, you know. I'm going to pray that you get that. Um, sometimes people will say, well, we don't have enough faith. If you had enough faith, it would happen. There's a story in Scripture. It's a great story. There's a, a dude who has a child who's ill, and he goes to Jesus, and he says, if you could, would you heal him? And Jesus says, it's not a matter of if I can heal him. It's if you have belief. And the guy says, this is, this is brilliant. I believe, the very next thing out of his mouth, help my unbelief. I got a little bit of faith. I, I got a little bit. I, I don't know how much I need, but I'm going to give you the faith I have, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hope that you come through. 
See, Jesus is saying in this story, everything is stacked against this dude. He goes to his friend, it's late at night, they're already in bed, they're locked behind closed doors, he might not even like you. Yet, even that guy is going to give you what you ask for. How much more? He's not saying God is like that, he's saying God is nothing like that. If a guy, when everything is stacked against you, gives you what you ask for, then your heavenly Father, who is in relationship with you, will give you what you need. It's called going from light to heavy. If, if that guy has everything going against him and it still works out, how much more will you get what your Father wants you to have? Now, Jesus goes on. So, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. And these are, there's a Greek term for this, these are present imperative uh, voice. Um, ask and keep on asking. And he will give it to you. Seek and keep seeking and you will find. Knock and, and keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find. Those who knock, the door will be opened. What I've learned about my own prayer life is if I'm not asking for the right thing, I ask God to correct my thinking. God, logically to me, this makes sense. But I'm not the creator of, and the master of the universe. I don't see everything. I don't know everything. But I do trust that you see everything and you do know everything and the plan that you have is perfect. And so I ask, if by chance I'm not asking in your will, help me change my will. Let me be in the stream of your power. I want to float with you. You, you can ask. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. Those are all answers from a loving heavenly father. Which of you fathers, he says, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Now, understand, I know there are wicked, weird people out there, but typically the vast, vast majority of fathers, if a son asks for a fish, won't give them a snake. And what's really interesting, Jesus lived around the Sea of Galilee, and in the Sea of Galilee there's this eel kind of animal called a barbuto, and uh, it's likely that Jesus was saying, if your son asked for a fish, you wouldn't give him a barbuto because they weren't edible, and you're not going to give him something that, that's not edible. And then he says, if, you ask, if he asked for an egg, you wouldn't give him a scorpion. And a, a scorpion rolled up when it's rolled up looks a little bit like an egg. And so he's saying, look, no, no, no normal, regular father is going to give bad gifts to his children. And, and then he says something that's interesting. If you then, though you are evil, and you read that, and I'm thinking, well, I'm not evil. Well, that's not everything about me, but it is a little bit about me. I mean, I can be self-centered, and I can be selfish, and, and I can be that kind of person. I can be the one who's uh, petty sometimes, amazingly petty. And he's saying, if, if you, though you are evil, not completely evil, but though you have evil tendencies sometimes, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father, who is not self-centered and not self-seeking and not uh, petty, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts? I, I know you. most of us who are parents know how to give good gifts to our children. I remember when the girls were little, they would want, you know, Barbie stuff. <sighs> The Barbie Playhouse and the Barbie Kitchen and the Barbie, you know, uh, rocket launcher. You know, just uh, everything. Barbie something. 
and you'd buy one of these. You'd pick one up at the store, and, and on the outside of the store, some pathological liar has written, easy to assemble. You know what that means? You're a sucker if you buy this. That's what it means. Uh, I'll translate it. And so you'd buy the box, and you'd take it home, and, and the, the, the instructions were in a language you don't speak. You know, It's like, oh, and there's no pictures. That's why we love Ikea. Uh, and there are no pictures, and you... It's like now it's Christmas Eve and you're under the gun, man. Pressure. So much pressure as a parent. Oh, I got to get the Barbie uh, you know, space station uh, uh, assembled because it's easy to assemble uh, for a, if you're a, you know, like an engineer. Uh, and so uh, you're, you're trying to put that together and, and it's not working. And you stay up and, and you're up until 2 or 3 or 4 and you finally get the stupid Barbie PlayStation together and you set it under the tree and, and then the, those little girls get up in the morning before the crack of dawn and uh, uh, roll down the stairs and they see the Barbie PlayStation or whatever the heck it was and, and they are, they are uh, beyond excited. And then it's worth it. Oh, it's worth it. It's worth the expense, it's worth the aggravation, it's worth it. Jesus is saying, hey, hey, you have some tendencies that aren't honorable, and even you know what it's like to give good gifts. How, how much more, how much more your Heavenly Father, who longs to give good gifts? So let's talk about prayer. I think sometimes we don't pray because we don't know how. So let me give you a little, I'm your pastor, let me give you a little instruction on this, okay? Um, we're going to talk about two, two kinds really today. I mean, I, this isn't complex, I promise. It won't be complex. There's not a list of rules or anything. I'm just going to tell you, this is simple. Prayer doesn't do us any good if we don't do it. It's a lot like flossing. We know we're supposed to, we just don't. Uh, uh, I, want, I, want to, I want to help you tap into prayer because it can be quite simple. In fact, let's talk about simple prayer. Both of these ways, by the way, both these types of prayers are found in Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times. All right, so what, that, what does that look like? By the way, most of the prayers in Scripture are these kinds of prayers. It's just something happens and you pray. Now, we're going to talk about scheduled prayer in just a minute. Those are great, and that's a discipline, and I think mature Christians fall into that eventually. But simple prayer is... Something happens and you pray about it right then. Uh, I'm your pastor. Sometimes you come to me and say, Pastor, will you pray about this? And I want to honor that. And I really want to pray for that. But I've learned about myself at my age that if I don't pray immediately about that, I'll forget. And I don't want to dishonor your prayer request. And I don't want to, I don't want to feel guilty. And so sometimes I'll pray with you out loud right away. We'll just pray together. But if I don't pray for you right then, right away, as you walk off, I'm praying for that need because if I don't do it right away, I forget. I don't want to forget. I'm not being intentionally with that. I'm not forgetting you. I, I just have to pray right away because my mind, I, I need to do it right away. Simple prayer is when God brings something to mind, then you pray about it. Have you ever been praying? Sometimes you're praying about something. I don't know if you all do that, but for me, uh, I'll, I'll think about something else. Like I'm praying about the church, but then I think about, oh, I got, I got this going on. And so I just pray about that, and then I come back. I come back to it. Simple prayer is just praying about what God puts on your mind. 
at the time. Most prayers in Scripture are simple prayers. There's a guy named Jonah. Remember that story about Jonah and the big fish and Jonah? Um, God says to Jonah, hey, you're a prophet. I need you to go prophesy uh, to Nineveh, this town of Nineveh. There's a lot of people there. Go prophesy and tell them if they don't straighten up, they're going to get whacked. And Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. I don't like them. Um, they're Duke basketball fans. You know, I, I don't like who they are. And so I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish, which is fun to say. Uh, I'm going to get on a boat. I'm going to go to Tarshish. And he does. And there's a big storm. And they throw him overboard. And he's swallowed by a big fish. And then the big fish takes him over uh, to Nineveh. And they, he, um, he has a reversal of fortune uh, onto the beach. Uh, that's hot dog contest language. Uh, and he throws him onto the beach. And one would think, one would think, if you spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and you get vomited up on the shore, God might have your attention. I, I always think about the scene. What did he did? Did he like go <laughs> with churl all over him, or did he clean up first? I, it's kind of my, where my mind goes. Let's say he cleaned up. He goes into town. He goes into Nineveh. He preaches. Um, it's likely that the, the gastric juices in the belly of the fish have, have made him completely white, have, like, have, have kind of burned his skin. And so he goes into town. <laughs> Think about this albino prophet shows up. You know, it's like, oh, we might want to listen. Uh, the guy looks like a freak. And uh, he preaches, and they repent. And Jonah is mad. It is the stupidest thing ever. He has this great revival service and everybody repents and he's mad. And, and this change of plans, God's now not going to kill everybody. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, which is a stupid thing to happen. And he became very angry and he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. And I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. <laughs> it's like it's like my prophet cred is gone you know uh, i told them they were going to get whacked and they didn't get whacked and now my my prophet cred is gone just kill me now lord i'd rather be dead than alive if what i predicted will not happen the patience of god with his cat is unbelievable and jonah goes and he sulks he goes on a hill i think he's hoping that god will change his mind again and that he'll see like the mushroom cloud, like you know, you know, like Nineveh gone. And so he's sitting there watching, and while he's watching to see what God will do, um, the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his comfort, his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. And God is about to teach a lesson because Jonah cares more about a plant than about tens of thousands of people. And so, God provided the plant, and then God kills the plant. And look at Jonah. Oh, he's, he's, so, he's so mature. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and he wanted to die. And he said, I would be better off for me to die than to live. Second time he said this. And, and God's going to teach him, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this bush? Yeah, Jonah, <laughs> he's honest. 
There's nothing good about Jonah in this story except he's honest. I mean, he really is honest. And Jonah responds, it is right for me to be angry about this bush, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Third time, by the way, I wish I were dead. And, and God makes a point. You're concerned about this vine for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. God is saying, look, think about how ludicrous, how ridiculous you are right now. This plant, it's a nice plant, grew in a day, gone in a day. Yet, you care more about that, he says. Shall I not be more concerned uh, about Nineveh, the great city in which uh, there are more than 120,000 persons who don't, do not know their right hand from their left? They don't know spiritual stuff. And also many animals. He's like, dude, you, you are so off base. I'll tell you this story to tell you this. You don't have to know what to pray to pray. I appreciate the fact that God was patient with Jonah. He kind of he's trying to get him into the stream of God's will. He's trying to get him there. Dude, it's more people are valuable to me. All people, even people from Nineveh are valuable to me. And and, and I'm going to treat him as such. See, the only virtue in Jonah's prayer is at least it was honest. C.S. Lewis, this great thinker, said, we must lay before God what's in us, not what ought to be in us, not what we think God wants to hear. Let's just tell Him what we think. That's why the Bible says pray continually. Just pray continually. Just tell Him what you think. Sometimes we have mixed motives. I get it. Maybe you're praying for your business. You know, you think it would be great if I could serve my customers well and then if I reap the profits and I can give to the church and that kind of thing. But you know kind of, you, you know there's a little bit of an ulterior motive. It's like, yeah, and then I'll, I'll be able to buy a new car or whatever. I mean, just pray, just pray. Maybe you're single and you're praying for uh, some, uh, you know, like a, a mate. You're praying for somebody. And you want them to be of good character, you know, you want them to have uh, moral fiber. And then you're thinking, well, can I pray that they're, like, hot? I mean, you know, can I, can I pray that they're good-looking, you know? Can I, can I pray that they're, they're stoppingly physically attractive? Yeah, you can. You, do you think your superficiality is a, is a shock to God? Oh, I, I can't believe he's so superficial, praying for a hot babe. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, you, you think that's the way God, <laughs> he knows us. He know, he's not surprised by that. The second kind of prayer, this is a little bit for more mature Christians, is scheduled prayer. Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for believers, always. So for me, this is how I do it. I'm going to give you a little, uh, you know, kind of a backstory. Um, when I pray, uh, I get up in the morning, I have a cup of coffee and I read my Bible. That's the first thing I do. I want to start the day uh, with the Bible. I think that's good for me. And so I get up about six and uh, get a cup of coffee. There, we have a little couch in my uh, bedroom. I sit on the couch and I read my Bible and then I pray. And sometimes if I'm having difficulty, I'll think about, you know, Jesus is in the chair over there or maybe he's beside me on the couch. And it helps me think through, okay, I'm just talking to somebody. And for me, because I'm so muddled sometimes, 
I came up with a little schedule that looks like this. This is just a strategy I use. It's not something you have to do. It's not even a strategy in Scripture. I just wanted to tell you what I do. So Mondays, I pray for my family. Now, get this. If something comes up, I can pray for my family anytime I want to. But I schedule a time to pray for my family on Monday. For me, that's what I do. Uh, on Tuesday, I pray for myself. This is, I, again, I can pray for myself anytime I want to. But I schedule some... If I don't do this, I'm praying like a shotgun blast. And it's going all over the place. And I can't remember, and I, I try to, you know, it's, it's too much. And so this is more like taking aim with a rifle. I, I take a rifled approach to prayer. And so on Wednesdays, I pray for my coworkers and my friends. Um, Thursday, I pray for the country. Just makes some sense. And so I'll pray for the president, that sort of thing. Uh, one day I pray for our church. On, on Friday I pray for our church because we're, we're ending the weekend. And that's my kind of, I'm, I'm starting to think about the weekend. I'm starting to think about Sunday. Uh, on Saturday I pray for my work, which is also the church. And kind of get two days of that for me. And then on Sunday I pray for the church universal. Do you realize that there are uh, literally millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people right now who are worshiping the Lord together? And so on Sunday it kind of makes sense. Let's pray for all the church. And I have to slow down. And I have to not be hurried. Um, if you have a pond... You ever been around a pond? There's no breeze, and it's just it looks like a piece like a piece of glass. And if you throw a, a pebble in a pond like that, man, you can see the ripples. But on a choppy day, if you throw a pebble in the pond, you don't see anything. I have to quiet myself. It's got to be calm, so that when I throw the pebble of prayer into the pool, it makes a ripple. I want to, I want to see, I want to see God moving. I want to read this story to you. I'm going to end with this. I've liked this story for a long time, and it's an old story, but it's by a guy named Tony Campolo. You might have heard of him. He's a pastor from long ago. He was also a professor at Eastern University, which is in Pennsylvania. And he writes this. Um, where I live in, in Eastern Pennsylvania, there's a Pentecostal college. I'm not Pentecostal, but I talk so fast they think I'm speaking in tongues, so it works out okay. They invited me to uh, speak at a chapel service. I like speaking there because they're dynamic, happy people. Just before I spoke, eight guys took me to the back room and got down. we got down on our knees and they laid their hands on my head and prayed for me. This was good. I need all the prayer I can get. Only one problem. These guys prayed a long time. That's okay, but the longer they prayed, the more tired they got, and the more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. And I want to tell you, eight guys leaning on your head doesn't feel too good. One guy wasn't even praying for me. Instead, he went on and on praying for a dude named Charlie Stoltzfus. Dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in the silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, the one on the right-hand side of the road. I'm like, dude, do you not think God knows where the guy lives? Anyway, he went on and on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he decided to leave his wife and three kids, walk out on his family. Lord, step in, do something, bring the family back together again. While I'm kneeling there, eight guys leaning on my head, I'm asking myself when this guy's going to knock it off about Charlie Stoltzfus. But he keeps on going about Charlie Stoltzfus, leaving his wife. Um, he's living in the silver trailer a mile down the road, right-hand side, he tells God this three times. Finally, the prayer was over. I got in the pulpit and preached, and as I finished, I got in my car and drove down the Pennsylvania Turnpike, headed for home. 
As I drove onto the turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. Guess who? Now, I know we're not supposed to pick hitchhikers up. However, when I can get somebody uh, locked in a captive audience, I do it. So I stopped, picked him up. We drove a few minutes. I said, hi, I'm Tony Campola. What's your name? He said, my name is Charlie Stoltzfus. Couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy with this. After a few minutes, he said, hey, mister, uh, where are you taking me? And I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and he asked why. And I said, because you're, uh, you just left your wife and three kids, right? That blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me. I drove off the turnpike at the next exit, and what I did next really uh, made, uh, blew his mind. When I, uh, I drove right to the silver trailer, I mind all the road on the right. And when I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge at me, and he, he said, how do you know where I live? And I said, God told me where you live. I ordered him out of, the, uh, out of the car and into the trailer, and half shaking, he answered, right, Mr. Sure, I'm going to go. And when he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back. And he whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. And then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down, I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to listen. And they did. And he writes, that afternoon, these two young people were led to Jesus Christ. I don't know that prayer always works that way. But I do think prayer sometimes works that way. And what I do know is this. Jesus thought so much of prayer that he did it and that he taught us to do it. And when his guys said, Lord, teach us to pray, he didn't hesitate. He did. So as you go this week, Pray simply. You, when things pop in your mind, you don't have to have the greatest motives and you don't have to even be good at it. Just pray. Father, thank you for this time together. We love you and we love what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for this reminder that prayer is something that you want from us. Help us to do it uh, even when we don't think we're good at it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.